Welcome to episode three of Super Entertainment Presents, the Telgen Crossover Universe on the Grand Geeknold Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. In the studio tonight, we have crazy Ivan Shablowski, Ghostbuster, Reanimator, Convention Panelist, and Lover of Cheese. And via Skype, James Boyachuk, CEO of 18th Wall Productions. I am Robert Ronsky Jr., author of the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia. We are the TVCU crew. What is the television crossover universe? Well, when I was a wee boy, I started noticing that certain television shows were connected by crossovers. I started keeping track of those connected series in a notebook. Over time, I realized that these crossover connections went beyond television to other mediums as well. I also started to learn that what I had originally seen as separate groupings of shared realities started to come together as one larger world, which I had dubbed the television crossover universe. Five years ago, I turned my years of notes into a website, and a year ago, started publishing books based on those crossover finds. This podcast is another means to celebrate those writers whose work adds to the expansion of the shared fictional reality. All right. So I would like to welcome again our co-hosts, Ivan and James. Actually, for the first time, Ivan, welcome to the studio. Uh, Thank this, you, Rob. This is our shameless plug part of the show before we introduce the guest. Uh, oh, you, boy. Yeah. What have we got for the folks this week? So, Ivan, we'll, we'll certainly we'll start no you shame. Off. I know that much. We'll start you off, Ivan. What do you got to plug for us? Well, I am writing stories, but nothing that's really uh, scheduled to get published ever. <laughs> and I also am working on web pages and even writing a game that Ooh. will probably oh. never see the light of day. <laughs> on the other hand, I do really like cheese. <laughs> All right. So, how about Excellent. you, James? What you got? Okay, I've got two things from the Dragon Lords Library, which I mentioned last week is still up and running. Go grab it now. Print editions will be out shortly. And very soon, we're going to be publishing After the World Ended. It's a collection from Hannah Lackoff. And she's done a lot of really interesting things in it where she's taking different movies, books, TV shows, and reworking them into new mythology. So she does an alternate take on Evil Dead, for instance, an alternate take on Snow White, and a few other things like that. Like, um, Lord, I can't remember what I'm thinking of anymore. But Evil Dead's very cool. And That's Snow all I've got this week. Agreed. All right. And uh, let's see. Everything that, I, that I'm working on can be found at TelgenCrossoverUniverse.com or RobertEronskyJr.com. Um, please buy my books, Horror Crossover Encyclopedia, Telgen Crossover Universe, Worlds of Mythology, Volume 1. Um, someday I will probably publish something else if I, uh, if I ever get my butt in gear. Uh, <laughs> uh, things, th- things distract me in life sometimes, uh, and I forget that I'm supposed to be a professional author now. Um, but yeah, go to the, go to those websites, and also you can find on there the links to this podcast. But you've probably probably already found this podcast if you're listening to this. Uh, I hope, and uh, yeah, all kinds of other stuff. And uh, we have new website updates all the time. Different intelligence series we talk about there. Uh, so that's our shameless plugs. Um, when we come back, we'll have Chris Nigro with us. Um, and then the shame will really begin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let's go to commercial. So you were saying about Lindsay Lohan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How about that Lindsay Lohan? <laughs> All right. <laughs> 
<laughs> our guest tonight is not Lindsay Lohan. It is Chris Nigro. Aww. It is Chris Nigro. Uh, Christopher Nigro is an author whose work primarily fits within the shared reality known as the Wold Newton universe. Also, he is much more sane than Lindsay Lohan. That's right. He has written several stories for various anthologies, but beyond that, Chris is a friend who I met through numerous crossover and shared reality-related discussion groups, many of which he is the, uh, the moderator. My, many, including myself, would consider Chris Nigro to be an expert on the fictional crossover. Additionally, Chris Nigro is heir to the famed Monster website, originally created by Chuck Larridens. And so it is my pleasure to welcome Chris Nigro to the show. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. It's cl- I'm honored to be here, and I hope my hair looks okay. <laughs> That's right. You always got to look good for radio. I like to think it's how you look on the inside that counts. So <laughs> let's find out. Yeah. That better than re- I agree. All right, Chris. So uh, to start the interview, um, I have several questions that I've come up with, but I also have some questions that were sent to me by one of your biggest fans. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> So, uh, to get us started, and uh, we're all going to jump in and attack you, I mean, interview you, um, but to get us start, started, I'd like to ask, so you got your start as a published author with the annual Tales of the Shadowman volumes by Black Coat Press, of which I have all of them. I am a, I am a fan of Tales of the Shadowman. Uh, what has been the nature of your contributions to them for volumes 8 through 12? Well, I've been writing what I like to consider a lot of fun fiction involving I would say French characters who are part of the rich French literature, pulp literature, I should say, from early in the 20th century. Also pulp cinema, if you're talking about Judex, who's the prototype for the shadow, the spider, etc. And a lot of these characters are neglected on our side of the Atlantic. Mm. There are exceptions, including the Phantom of the Opera, who I wrote my first two stories about, that which were published. And I think these characters are very cool, and they really do—they really do deserve to have a chance to get a foothold in America. All right. Uh, what has been the focus of your contributions for other publishing presses? Well, I've—I started out working in the horror genre, and one of my early published stories for Sirens Call Publications, and I thank them greatly for that opportunity, was called *The Scurrying* which was a dystopic future where giant rats ruled the world and basically ate everyone else out of house and home, if you know what I mean. And I, was, I, I hope to do some follow-ups on that. Um, I was also pretty proud. Um, that sounded wrong, but I was also glad to have something published by Pro Se Productions, a couple of things, in fact. And one of my favorite was The Damsel of Disaster which was for their anthology called The Dame Did It, exclamation point at the end, by the way, which uh, was basically about crime noir, but all of which involved a woman as a major character, either as the protagonist, the major antagonist, victim, etc. And I was rather proud to do The Damsel of Disaster because I felt there could be a powerful female character who is a bad guy. Not just looks, but evil and still attractive. And, you know, kind of like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> <laughs> and it's back to Lindsay. <laughs> Except she just has a... My, my character, Gia Provenzo, she just has a couple more bodies 
racked up behind her than Lindsay Lohan, as far as we know, anyway. <laughs> and, yes, I basically takes place in the early 1930s, and it's setting up the stage for the Provenzo family, which is, I would say, a group of organized criminals, family, think M-A-F-I-A or M-A-G-G-A-I if you're a Marvel Comics fan. And they will be part of the Western New York area where I very proudly sometimes dwell. <laughs> I mean, you dwell there sometimes or you're proud of it sometimes? <laughs> I'm occasionally proud of it. Oh. Not during the winter. But I hope to do a series of characters based on that family. I've introduced other individuals from that family and some of my other stories that I've had published, including one if by Scarlet River Press. Whatever happened to them, by the way. And, yeah, I think you may still be able to get a couple of used copies of that. Nice. So uh, rumor has it, uh, actually I've, I, I've heard you uh, talk about it for for a few years now, but I've heard you mention again recently that you are uh, putting together your own small publishing press. Um, do you have any upcoming projects planned for that? Uh, anything you would like to, to plug or talk about? Well, the rumors got out. Okay, now the cat's out the bag. Um, I should you say... You heard it here first. Unless yeah. you heard it somewhere else earlier. <laughs> then we apologize. If it's a rumor, you probably did, but anyway, um, you will... One of the projects I hope to launch, which I've just had a very good professional editing job done on, was uh, called Replicant, which is a story I did a long time ago, and it's since been polished. It will be a novella, and it will have to do with um, a synthetically created human being programmed to be a complete soldier who was supposed to have been turned over to the military with encoded programming that would make him completely obedient to the brass, but something goes wrong thanks to an error of cataclysmic proportions made by an innocent worker. He gets out before the programming is in there, was or was placed into his neural synapses, and yeah, synapses is where the memory goes, right? Anyway, <laughs> not a neurologist here, but anyway, he he has all the the equivalent of training and knowledge that a soldier should have, plus physically enhanced, but none of the information and experience with the world that you have by living it, as we all have done. So, yeah, chaos, blood, mayhem, and maybe some insights into human nature ensue as a result. So Blade Runner meets Short Circuit. Yeah, something like <laughs> that, except no number five is live business. But That's Johnny Five to you, buddy. My <laughs> bad. I'm also hoping to get out uh, uh, an anthology featuring. I hope I'm not giving any other publisher any ideas before I get this out. But Work I, faster. I talk any faster. I think I would be. A, uh, I would break the sound barrier. But I'm anyway, is quality <laughs> over quantity? Trust me, all the time, every time. That's why I'm taking so long to write anything. <laughs> but once it gets out, no doubt magic will happen. But at any rate, I'm hoping to get out an anthology dedicated to the interesting character of Dorian Gray. To my knowledge, don't quote me on this, I don't think any other anthology has yet been released featuring this character. And I want to include a variety of writers and perspectives for short stories 
that delve into this character. The audio series that's currently out, I, I um, the is, Confessions of Dorian Gray from Big Finish Entertainment. That's the one, and it's pretty awesome stuff in there. And I think we need to get this character to prose, and with many different perspectives. I like the idea of an. Well, do we call him an anti-hero? Okay, he's sort of a. Sort of. A, yeah, sort of anti-hero, sometimes amoral, but the reflections on human nature using the horror genre to tell that is pretty inspiring. Not inspiring that you want to be like him, necessarily. Um, I won't judge, though, but basically it gives you ideas. How can a human being go wrong? How could a human being improve themselves and go wrong again? It's basically very interesting the many different things that this character could represent, and what he and he's because he's not a hero, he represents a different type of fantasy for the readers. And if you could imagine if you can live forever doing something like this, and only your picture gets old and loses its teeth and its hair. Yeah, and, Gray, Gray is one of my favorite characters um, in fiction, so I'm actually looking forward to this anthology. I thank you, and I think because not enough has been done with this character. And I'm also hoping to bring my website, The Warrenverse, which deals with the shared universe concept that was published by Warren Comics. And they're classic comic magazines, Creepy and Eerie, and, and Vampirella. And I'd like to include, it'll be nonfiction, of course, since they're all copyrighted stuff, where I basically take the information I have on my website add a lot to it, update it, include all the information about Vampirella and the Rook and Panther, Warren's three big guns that I neglected from the Warrenverse in favor of the lesser-known characters, and give the full skinny on them, not only on the series and how they intertwine, but my analyses of what each series represented, which, once again, we're get, we're, with a few exceptions, like the Rook, we're getting anti-heroes. We're getting characters that represent the more base aspects of humanity. Like, for example, Curse of the Werewolf series. This should be a big interest to Ivan, who is an expert on the werewolf theme. And basically, Arthur Lemming was a character who, unlike Larry Talbot from the classic Universal films, and unlike Jack Russell of Marvel's classic Werewolf by Night series, he was not at heart a hero. He was an average human being. In other words, a total screw-up like me. And he made mistakes. It's funny that you think that your level of screw-up is average, but go on. (laughs) I like to be just a little bit narcissistic there, give myself more credit than I deserve. But anyway, (laughs) it was basically what the character represents is, is it's more unpredictable. You know Jack Russell is going to rise above his bestial failings and go against the greater evil it was very predictable with Jack Lemmy the innocence as well as the fell before him and another good example is the character of I, I um from the mummy walks uh, that, uh, there was there were a couple of characters but they were basically all immoral individuals and whose transferred their mind into the body of a very powerful mummy. Bing Karis or Karis on steroids. I think it's Karis. 
and basically it showcases a different aspect of humanity than, for example, Encantu, the living mummy from Marvel, who's a hero. So I think these series were fascinated, and they deserve to be basically trotted out to the public again. And I want to include a lot of pictures and to go with the analyses, which I did not include on the website. So I'm hoping it's an all-new experience, even for the few fans I may have had of the website. And yes, Ivan, I think I did have a couple of fans. <laughs> I read your web pages. So have I. So, so have I. Good stuff. See? Three whole people. That's how I learned about the pi. Before that, I thought pi was just a number, a really, really long number. I thought it was an equation, or I thought it was something you eat for dessert, but no, the pi is an alien being who had a classic, though very short-lived series in Erie, and started with the series Daddy and the Pie. And now, unlike these other characters, he was a true hero. He was an alien from a very advanced race who got basically marooned on Earth in Maine circa 1930s. And the pie was what they named him because the the family, the simple rural family that adopted him, because they believed the closest he came to spelling his name in his language sort of resembled the equation, the pie. So that's why they called him pie. And he didn't realize how corny it sounded being from another planet, so he obliged him. And after all, he was a guest in their house, too, you know. And he had, it, it was a series that dealt with prejudice because this alien being who had one little device from his advanced civilization that survived the crash that could do just about anything, uh, they just called it the gadget. That's how creative they were. And... The, the people in the local town were terrified of him, and as you might imagine, a lot of hardship went down on the family because of it, and it was really a very awesome series, even though it wasn't, it was out of tune for a lot of things that you see in Warren, because the pie was a real hero, and he may have been just at home at in a DC comic, like Mystery in Space, but I was glad to see the series published anywhere. And that's why I included something, an important index of the character on my website. And he's also part of that shared universe because he did cross over with Vampirella the Rook and some of their other characters. Well, your Warrenverse website and a lot of information you've provided me was instrumental for writing the Horror Crossover Encyclopedia, um, you know, of which I, I credited you uh, in the acknowledgments of that book because you did provide me with emails and emails and emails of valuable stuff um, for sure um, and I tell you if you put lots of pictures of Vampirilla in your upcoming book I will, I will definitely buy, <laughs> buy a copy you also provided me with lots and lots of emails and emails of stuff over the years and that's I, all I have to say about that I like seeing myself right yeah. <laughs> okay let's turn this back to Dorian Gray you say you want multiple perspectives from different authors Give any prospective authors a little taste of what that means, exactly what you're looking for, what you'd like to see, so they have an idea, hey, this is what would do best for the anthology so I can get accepted and write the best story I can. Quite easily. And gladly, I will say one of the things, or I should say many things I'd like to say from an author, what type of situation would they see a character like Dorian Gray most interesting in? 
what time period? Because he's all over the map starting from the late 19th century. What is he like when he interacts with this celebrity? What is he like if he introdu- if he interacts with this particular character? Public domain character, I should point out. <laughs> and um, basically, what types of situations could he be in where he tells an important statement about humanity? Where is humanity at its worst? And how could he represent that? Because Dorian Gray does a very good job of representing humanity at his worst. But also, like I said, what types of dark fantasies could people have? You know, when you're not writing about a hero, you're writing about a character who sometimes does end up fighting for the, uh, for the greater good, but only for his own purposes, mm-hmm. only for his own reasons. What do these things say about humanity from the perspective of you, the writer? Yeah, I always felt that Dorian Gray was, wasn't necessarily evil. He was just selfish, and uh, he was more a reflection of what the author you know, saw humanity as. I think he probably became a lot worse once he reached immortality and right. realized that inhibitions yeah. didn't even apply to him. Yeah, but, but I feel like that was the, the author's statement of how he felt like any human, the average human would, would, would uh, react in that situation. I sure did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the really interesting thing is how did it go? Oscar Wilde actually talked about that a bit, and Lord Henry was how the world saw, saw him. Dorian is how he saw himself, and the artist is how he wanted to be. Right. Well, as I saw it too with uh, Dorian Gray, it was also, it was, it had, I think it had allusions to the Faustian legend because one of the things it, I believe, it dealt with the idea of selling your soul. And he did it for immortality, so he could be, he could live his debauch lifestyle or any lifestyle for the rest of his life. If you're going to be young and, be, and pretty, or a pretty boy like him for the rest of your life, how is that going to affect your psyche? How can you resist this temptation and that temptation if you have an infinite span of years to give in to these temptations? Well, in the original book, he actually does experience regret towards the end. A lot of uh, more recent adaptations of the character don't even give him the ability to feel regret. I remember the uh, very good series on Showtime. Uh, was it Penny Dreadful? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. They they make him a, a fairly major character on that show, and his whole purpose seems to be to drag other people down into his debauchery. Which he was also, he's always infamous. Oh, my bad. But he, which he was always infamous for. Yeah, he was also on a recent episode of The Librarians, and on that show they put him in the modern day. And uh, they gave an, an interesting, I guess, flavor as to how he was going to uh, maintain his immortality, basically by f- feeding off of other people's vanity. Mm. Huh. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, another thing prospective submitters, authors might think about, based on what was just said, which is a good point, how would Dorian Gray affect other characters, other people who associate with him? What if this individual associated with them, et cetera, et cetera? What if a naive person or an angry person or even a happy person or just an emotionally conflicted person or an alcoholic? What fate would befall them as a result of associating with him? Because that's part of his, dare I say, charm, 
how he affects others. Right. Couldn't agree more. All right. So I'm going to ask you about some other crossovery type stuff since this is a, a crossovery type show. Um, what? And speaking of websites, um, you know, a few years ago you acquired the Monster website, uh, which I've been a big fan of over the last 15 years. Uh, of course, that was started by Chuck Larridens, um, who I'm a big fan of. Um, can you briefly explain the concept of the the Children of the Night and the the Monster concept? Like, what does monsta mean? Yeah. It's so yeah. hard to say. Monsta. See, I'm, I'm from New England. It just sounds like I'm just saying monster. The big green monster. <laughs> monster. Well, to start with, and I'll, I, I should start by saying it was a great honor to have Chuck pass the torch to me. I approached him and asked him because monster was a huge part of everything that contributed to me becoming a published author. It's it, the concepts he dealt with in a shared universe way was basically extremely inspirational to me. And for the five years I associated with his old group on Yahoo and his updates there, it was just it rocked the socks. There's no other way to mention it. Or no, to, are you sure there's no other way to mention it? Because I'm not sure everybody even knows what rock the socks means. <laughs> It basically means awesome sauce. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> and basically, for after a while, when the site went down, I, I felt there was a huge vacuum. You know, it's like the same thing happens when someone teleports and all that. There's this big space with no air, and the, I, the air had to fly back in dramatically. Not the best metaphor, but go with me here. And so, what you're saying is that once Chuck gave up on it, you sucked. I could never replace. Ch- oh, I that was ornery. Uh, oh, anyway, I'm sorry. Any, yeah, I got it. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, I, I I could never I could never replace Chuck, but I tried to maintain the spirits of Monster. By the way, that stands for. It's an acronym for Maximum Observation and or Nullification of Supernatural Terrors Autonomous Agents Headquarters. Try saying that a couple times. I'd say about ten times, and I think you'll have it down pat. I think it'll just be easier for me to learn how to say monster. Yeah. Sounds like they just wanted to spell out monster. (laughs) Because it sounds kind of cool. Yeah. And what its basic concept is that Chuck had in mind that I try to preserve in spirit, is that he tries to get the, the myriad versions of Dracula who've appeared in different mediums from cinema and the various and, and the various major movie companies that have released Dracula, movies about Dracula, like, for example, Universal, like, for example, Hammer, and basically the Frankenstein monster and the various copycat versions and various werewolf characters of prominence. Think Larry Talbot, think Valdemar Daninsky. Did I pronounce that right, Ivan? I'm good with that, yeah. Okay. And you gather together all these disparate appearances in all this different media, including comic books, let's say like Tomb of Dracula, and get them together on a single coherent timeline. 
And his way of doing that with Dracula, for instance, was the introduction of the concept of the soul clones. Now, the way he envisioned the soul clones was that at one point, Dracula, by using his star stone ring, which has appeared in various sources, was able to, after vamping a certain individual, projecting his consciousness into that person and injecting, so to speak, a degree of his power, his consciousness, his will. So when the main Dracula, as he called Dracula Prime, would go into induced slumber for a time to regroup his power, or if he was otherwise indisposed, as tends to happen with Dracula when he's killed periodically, um, this a soul clone could be released, where he would, all intents and purposes, be Dracula. And as, as Chuck envisioned it, Dracula would act through that other individual's eyes, ears, and things. And the universal version of Dracula was one version, Dracula Lejos, uh, where the last names, or the, I should say the suffix afterwards, were usually a name given from one of the movies. For example, the universal version of Dracula, played by Bela Lugosi, Laos was the name of the professor as he appeared in Abbott and Costello Meet, Meet Frankenstein. And another famous version of Dracula, the Hammer version, portrayed by the late great Sir Christopher Lee, he referred to as Dracula Denrum, which was the name he took in the two early 70s movies, which were titled Dracula AD 1972 and the Satanic Rites of Dracula. And what I've done since is extrapolate on that fantastic timeline that Chuck started. Multiple members of the Frankenstein clan from different films, including Henry Frankenstein from the Universal films, the original Victor Frankenstein from Mary Shelley's novel, and Baron Victor Frankenstein, who we've seen in the Hammer series of films and others, were part of the same clan. And they created different copycat monsters. And he integrated the families of these individuals marvelously. And one of the, he did the same thing with the werewolf characters, like the way he integrated Jack Russell from Marvel's Werewolf by Night comic as part of the Talbot clan. It was just brilliant. And I was fascinated with it. I was smitten. I, I had a crush on the concept, and still do. And I extrapolated onto it. I added other soul clones, other members of the Frankenstein clan, including, for example, yes, Warren Comics' version of Dracula, who I've referred to as Dracula Mordante, because he referred to himself as Count Mordante in his first appearance in an issue of Vampirella. So I've added to it, and I tried to stick to Chuck's, to, to Chuck's idea. We, we, we have had our share of creative differences, like basically how superheroes fit in, mm -hmm. and I try to keep every superhero I put in there in a pulp version, if you want to call it. And m more to the point, this is part of an what we would call the crossover universe, as has been since been christianed by Winscott Eckert, who's a major inspiration to my work also. Wald Newton Universe more or less refers to characters and events connected to the work of Philip Jose Farmer. And there is, in, there is intertwining with the monster timeline, but this is mostly the crossover universe. As in Winscott Eckert's publications, 
what Sean Sean Lee Levy will soon be taking up. I hope I pronounced his name right. But um, he will be taking over the crossover universe volumes, which I'm really looking forward to. Me too. Same here. Yep. Here, here. And as I said, I'm hoping to, to continue to integrate the monster timeline into the crossover universe and keep it there. And different individuals could see it differently. I mean, if you if you don't want any version of Spider-Man in there, that's fine. It could be ignored. But if you do keep him in there, keep in mind this is the pulp version. Maybe similar to, to the Marvel Noir version. This is not... The, the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe are very different creatures in the crossover universe. But I most... Oh, I'm, please go on. Please say. Oh, I was going to say, sort, <laughs> sort of... Uh... Like Dennis Powers' um, secret history of the Walnut Universe uh, versions of the, the the superheroes, where he's kind of um, wielded the them as a very pulpy version. Yes, I was also greatly inspired by Dennis Powers' work, and I do include it. But you know, if if you want to see your your monster as completely superhero-less, pulp, pulpified or otherwise, it's fine. I'm even thinking out of respect for Chuck's vision to highlight those those entries and any reference to a superhero pulpified or not into well basically highlight them in a different color and you include or don't include as you may choose but it's it's really not part of what chuck was doing but it is part of what me and dennis are doing so i try to i try to be inclusive to every every conception that you might have for a creative mythographer and, and I hope this works out. I like thinking of myself as the king of compromise. <laughs> and I, I'm hoping that works. And I'm just very, very proud to, to have the torch passed to me when I requested it. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to do some monster-oriented projects featuring different teams. And I hope for Chuck to be a part of that. I would love to see that happen. Yeah, yeah. I, he needs to do more writing. And he, uh, he has that... Um... Um, the henchman, the 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 story about like uh, the secret diary of henchmen or something, I would love to see that completed. Um, the mon- monster website's been very influential for the television crossover universe. Although we 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 use different soul clones, uh, Chuck uh, did give us permission to use the soul clone theory and the Frankenstein theory, and we've we've fully incorporated that into our work, the horror crossover encyclopedia. And uh, it should be noted that authors like uh, Donald F. Glutt and Simon R. Green have actually um, made canon the fact that there there are multiple uh, like Frankenstein's, the whole Frankenstein family legacy, and things like that. So they they've kind of supported um, the theories that Mark K. Brown and, and Chuck Larridan started. Oh yeah, in Green's stories, that's a pretty big plot point actually that there's multiple Frankenstein monsters. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I like the idea of different universes being part of them because, see, that's what I like, the concept of the multiverse. This more or less embodies that. There are different perspectives, different universes with different laws. And I like seeing, I like seeing these different perspectives. Like, what could this character have been in the TV crossover universe? What could he have been in the crossover universe, the standard crossover universe, I guess? What could he have been in the DC universe? What could he have been in the Hasbro universe? Yeah, that's about to appear soon, I believe. Yes. And they're, they're bringing us a shared universe, according to the reports. Um, and I just think it's fascinating to look at these different perspectives i I mean there's other writers who have a more of a purist view like maybe let's say a universe where doc savage exists on his own 
Right. And there isn't a shadow or a spider there, and that's fine too. It's it's uh, I I I like to think that creative people should give each it should give account an accounting and an acknowledgement of each other's perspectives rather than argue which one is the word which one is the best which one is the definitive because there really is no right answer it's it all depends on the individual perspective of the individual reader i i, I agree wholeheartedly you know with the tvcu i i've said from time to time like if you don't like the muppets just ignore entries about the muppets you know and and like 99% of, of what we write can fit in other shared realities and vice versa. So like that, that 1%, you know, um, that we do things differently or they do things differently, it, you know, who cares, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, like hopefully you'll like the bulk of the information. That's how I feel like, like I, you know, with the monster stuff too, if you don't like superheroes, e- even with Winscott Eckert's uh, crossover chronology, he, uh, the original one on, on the website, he put all the superhero comic book stuff in green so that you could, like, skip over it if you didn't like superheroes in your crossover chronology. Yeah. I think that was a good way to honor different perspectives and, and to say I acknowledge that individual mileage varies. We all have our conceptions of what this uh, particular universe is or isn't, and there could be multiple conceptions. And I want to do the same thing with Monster. I want to show a lot of respect for Chuck's vision and at the t- same time saying, look, we could accommodate a few other things from the crossover universe that Dennis wrote about and I picked up on, but if you don't want it there, it doesn't have to be there. Exactly. So, uh, as I mentioned uh, when I introduced you, uh, you are a moderator of many, many groups, uh, discussion groups that deal with crossovers and shared realities. Um, so, d- I wanted to give you an opportunity to speak to some of uh, them, um, you know, and, and what each one is about, so that maybe people will want to find you and come participate in these conversations. Well, I would say Monster, and these are all Facebook groups, though we have had Google groups in the past. Yeah, after we- Google groups suck. <laughs> it seems to be the consensus. It's a sad truth. It's just you can't do as much with them. So in light of that, now that we're on Facebook, Monster is one of them, and I basically like to continue the old Yahoo group. Remember when Yahoo was cool with their groups? It used to be cool, yeah. I, I remember lots of Yahoo groups. <laughs> Until they started sucking, and then Google became cool, and they started sucking, so now we're Google was never cool. <laughs> Sorry. You only thought it was cool because Google would actually talk to you. You weren't hearing those voices. Anyway, um, <laughs> as I was uh, a monster, I'm hoping to continue with the spirit of Chuck's old Yahoo group that was so influential on me. And we basically talk about the monster-related aspects of the crossover universe, as Win Scott Eckerd conceives it. And Chuck does participate, I'm very proud to say. And I basically consider him, I like to consider him a monitor emeritus. Did I pronounce that right? Um, I hope so, because I never heard it pronounced before, only spelled. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm not Latin, so I, I You mean the really other know. moderator? <laughs> no, yes. no, he he means like uh, he's Professor there forever. Oh yeah, yeah. Professor Amaritas, yes. I, I hope I spelled it right. Kind of like uh, Archie Bunker pronounced hors d'oeuvres, horse overs, you know, because he yeah, never. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> um, which I thought was ornery, by the way. But anyway, as I'm saying, Monster is there, and 
I, I try to continue basically a friendly atmosphere. You know, I don't want people arguing and fighting. There's certain things all of us feel strongly about, and I want to keep the spirits in terms of we're all friends if we participate there. So even if you don't know me and you participate there, you're my friend and you behave accordingly. And a lot Is of- that just because you really, really need more friends? <laughs> Can I plead the fifth on that one? I don't want to embarrass myself. But anyway. That's fair. So, yeah. it's uh, it, I like to think it, you know, that the membership has been exponentially increasing, and I think a lot of good discussions are there, very in-depth. Um, another one of my groups, um, Wald Newton Heroes and Villains, but I'm probably going to end up changing the name because it really doesn't intersect much with the Wald Newton universe anymore. It's more of a crossover universe thing. As an, as an extension of what Dennis Powers did, how can superheroes fit into the crossover universe, which is basically a pulp hero in villain universe with monsters and sci-fi thrown in. And I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, and it's fine. So those who don't want it, who don't like the idea or the concept, are free to steer clear, of course, and they probably do from a lot of my groups. But anyways, um, another one of them that is more in line with the Paul Pirro concept is Wald Newton traditional heroes and villains, which explicitly deals with the likes of the Shadow, the Spider, Doc Savage, Fu Manchu, Charlie Chan, etc., and. I'm a big fan of et cetera myself, so yeah, I'm glad you brought him back. That's why I had to include him. I had you in mind when I included him, Ivan, and as I was saying, um, we talk about that, where we, where we exclusively pulp heroes and villains that do not have to be pulpified already. Now, there are some characters, obviously, that do straddle the line, like Batman. Some have the problem, Batman is fine in a pulp hero universe, but because of his connection to the DC universe, he may invariably bring other superheroes in, like Green Lantern, and, and Green Lantern is not appropriate for pulp hero universe. He's on a whole other level in a universe with whole other physical laws. So Green, we try- Green Lantern, the Golden Age one, is in uh, Winscott Eckert's crossovers, though. And, and he is, and if you want to include Alex Scott, that's fine. I could see him pulpified as a mystic without the, the grandiosity of the cosmic aspects that you see in some of the comics. I, I'd like to see maybe Hal Jordan reinterpreted as a lensman, mm. since they, they did inspire the Green Lantern Corps after all. But again, that's independent mileage will vary. So we have this group for that. And I've included another one, maybe my most controversial group, called Wald Newton Beyond, which extrapolates the creative mythology and the para-scholarship that Philip Jose Farmer was so fantastic with creating, expands it to numerous genres outside the pulp hero and villain genres and outside the monster horror genres and sci-fi genres and basically just about every other genre you can think of and ask the question, could these individuals be fit in the crossover universe also by now it's not part of the wald newton universe okay but it does use the wald newton methodology of parascholarship and genealogy which is why i use it but i end up changing that word too because i know that there has been misleading aspects that this is the wald newton universe it's not it is just pjf inspired methodology applied to different 
genres. Like, let's say, for example, sitcoms, um, police dramas, westerns, medical dramas, and even the world of advertisements. And yes, Santa Claus, cool characters like that who appears in numerous sources in numerous crossover universes. You gotta love the public domain guys like him. And even though it could be a major pain in the you know um, area to, I hope I can say that much. Uh, <laughs> area, yes, you can say yeah. area. <laughs> and he's uh, you know he he's problematic because there's so many different versions. But see, that's the fun. As much of a migraine headache as it may induce, how could you fit all these disparate versions together on a single timeline? Can you? And the degree of theories that have come up are just a total bottle of awesome sauce. I know I use that word a lot. But anyways, I'm just saying I like the discussions that come up. And it really forces your mind to stretch like Mr. Fantastic on steroids. I, so it's cool. And if you want to – if your mind could – or, and I should say your personal sensibilities are cool with the idea of extrapolating these other these other genres into the crossover universe, like genealogy, maybe even sometimes fitting them into the Wald Newton universe, like I've discussed with, uh, with um, the Fonzarellis. Uh, could they possibly be part of the Wald Newton family? Maybe. It's not a traditional way of looking at it, but I think it's an intriguing idea. And if you're down with it... By all means, come to the Wald Newton Beyond. I would love to see Arthur Franzarelli wolded. He I would certainly hope. has the mutant gene. Uh, considering his abilities, yes. And I, I wonder, are there some members of the Wald Newton family who have, so to speak, fallen through the cracks and for whatever reason not gone on to extraordinary careers as scientists, adventurers, explorers, heroes, world conquerors, etc., but nevertheless were still extraordinary individuals in their own right. He jumped a shark. He did, in fact, <laughs> jump a shark. The and fact that and he did thus it created literally. jumping the shark. And the fact he did it literally was a pretty awesome thing that I think Buckaroo Banzai would have been proud of. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe he could be fit. Another character, for example, I've tried to fit in is Buddy Revelle from the classic late 80s movie, Three O'Clock High. Watch the movie. It's worth the $3 you might rent it for. I've Check out it. the character, mm-hmm, and you'll see why. Awesome. So before we wrap up our interview, uh, I would like to give you the opportunity to uh, plug any of your um, other projects, new, upcoming, current, and, and where your social media, where people can find you. And well, don't be afraid to mention the stuff that's not crossover related. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I will strive to get over my fear of that. Um, I should say that one of my other projects I'm doing, a character I'm proud of that I've created who first appeared in um, Aliens Among Us Volume 1 from Pulp Empire, thank you to Nick Alheim for giving me this opportunity, is Scytharn, who is... Uh, Barzumian Red Martian who comes to Earth and has exploits there. I'm hoping to reprint that and include him as a series. And uh, I'm also hoping to expand other things in series. I have certain other characters that I ho- from the horror genre that I hope to work with other authors for crossovers with. 
I um, I'm currently just about finishing a superhero novel that is not part of Monster or that or crossover universe at all, called Centurion, which is part of a bona fide superhero universe that I'm working on, and he will be a teen hero who is cut from a very different cloth than the likes of Peter Parker, Richard Ryder, or Clark Kent, as that he, as a bullied character, he does not rise above it at first. He ends up seriously messed up, and he has to, after getting his powers, he first uses them for revenge, and he has to seriously work at redeeming himself to become a hero. And there's going to be a lot of setbacks along the way, which will be interesting and hopefully very disturbing. And also Moonstalker, who's a character that exists in that universe, who you might think of as a Batman on a budget character, but he's um, a teenager also. And he has no superpowers, but his skills are tremendous. You want to find out how he gets him? Read the book. There will be connections with Centurion. And basically, how do you become a hero sort of like Batman if you don't have the millions of dollars or the billions of dollars or even a couple thousand dollars or even a hundred dollars sometimes in your bank account? How does he do it? Or dead parents. Um, mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, his parents are alive, and he still does it. And he still finds reason to do it, too. So, yeah. So basically, without a motivating trauma, I guess you meant, but simply an ego in his case, as you'll see. And I should say those are the major things I'm working on right now in terms of projects. And uh, I would wrap up by saying hello to my mother, but she's not listening. <laughs> and I would uh, I just want to give a shout out to our friend and colleague, colleague Dave Brzezeski, because he says he will be listening just to hear all our voices for the first time. <laughs> nice. Hopefully we impress him. Yeah. Does that mean I'm supposed to be using my real voice? <laughs> no, I think that means you're supposed to be using a really bad cockney. <laughs> I, oh, that goodness, I, then. <laughs> We've got that covered, Walt. I totally faked mine during this interview. I sound nothing like this, Dave. <laughs> well, Chris, uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, just let listeners know, Chris will be joining us as our, our special co-host next week's show. Um, so we're going to go to commercial, and then we will wrap up when we get back. Well, that's about all the time we've got for this episode. Join us next week when we'll be talking with our own James Boyacek about his work. Uh, before we end, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, Joe Ronsky, Yes Related, um, who sponsored us to the GoFundMe uh, fundraiser we have going on. And uh, you can still contribute to the GoFundMe fundraiser. We want your money. Um, and your cheese. It, it helps keep this show running. Um, and also, we'd like to thank our other sponsor, Big Kahuna Burgers. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listened. Remember, everything happens somewhere. <laughs>